Today, I'm joined by Joel Connolly, creative director of Blackbird Venture Capital. Here's a nice description of who they are from their own website. Blackbird is a venture capital firm whose mission is to supercharge Australia and New Zealand's most ambitious founders. They do this by raising venture capital funds, investing into the best startup companies, and helping them succeed. They have a billion dollars under management and a portfolio of over 60 companies, including some of the most successful Australian startups such as Canva, Zooks, Safety Culture, and Culture App. Their motto, invest in wild hearts with the wildest of ideas right at the beginning. In this episode, Joel and I plan to discuss stuff related to entrepreneurship, startup culture, and innovation. Thank you so much for having me, Minosh. I appreciate it. What do you think of... Uh, 2020 so far oh wow hasn't it i mean it's sort of a bit of a cliche now to say it's it's been a bit a bit of a weird one out of great uh challenge or great you know you know challenge it's sort of i think you end up you know you rebirth i think and i think i'm, I'm waiting for uh you know lots of new and exciting things to come out of this um i know that you know when uh, you know, great art movements are usually, you know, they usually happen after something major or some major world event. So I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see, you know, how people change the way that they work. I'm excited for the startups that will be born out at this time. You know, historically, uh, some of the best startups all come out of like, you know, crises um, and, you know, the famous ones that are, that are, that are you know, linked to uh, Facebook came out of the global financial crisis uh, or it was, you know, that's when it really broke out, Airbnb, uh, Dropbox. So, you know, I'm excited for the technology companies that, that are going to, you know, come out of this as well. So I'm, I'm an optimist, I guess. You truly are. In my own living memory, uh, I think this is the first time the entire human race has come together under one uh, goal, to stay safe, to stay healthy, and to stay alive. Um, and I was thinking, do you think this is how our entrepreneurs are thinking perhaps of their own startup companies, uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay alive, translated as don't take risks, be financially stable, um, and do what it takes to remain in business, which perhaps limits their original risk-taking men mentality and powering innovation in the process. Mm, I think that's it depends on the founder obviously and it depends on their company some uh, startups are doing you know uh, you know we've got some companies in the telehealth space who you know their services are really needed during this time so you know they're getting hungry and they're like you know they're working really really hard to you know make their services available to more people um, so you know for them this is you know that they feel a great sense of responsibility like they you know it's more than you know it's more important to them than it was before which just kind of sounds remarkable because when you invest generally it's because it's the most important thing that that person is doing in their life i think you know there are other startups though who are like who are negatively impacted and you know they are just in survival mode you know startups are unique and different to other businesses in that most of them aren't profitable so they rely on the, the money that they've raised and then you know supplement that with other with income that they're making but you know primarily they're loss making uh and so you know a lot of startups are just battening down the hatches but even within that um um, you know, we've got one company who has said they're turning off sales and marketing, but the the advantage of that means they get to focus on product and building, you know, really, really great uh, new features uh, for their customers for when, you know, things do open up again. So, it just depends on the company. It depends on the outlook of the founder. Um, we kind of, 
you know, as tragic as it is with everything that's going on, we still like to think that, you know, hopefully our founders will see, you know, the good in this or that, you know, see that they can actually, you know, turn some lemons into lemonade if they, you know, really use their brains. Right. You mentioned the word startup. Um, how do you define a startup and a startup culture? Oh, that's a tough question. A startup, well, a startup to me is, um, you know, any small company, uh, you know, founded by usually a couple of people uh, and, you know, they're trying to solve some kind of problem uh, and that problem is important. Uh, and, you know, when you're talking a technology startup, we usually say that, you know, if it's a venture scale technology startup, it, you know, you add to that that they have to be solving a problem that's big enough to have a really huge market, you know, and they could, you know, eventually be worth billions of dollars. But I also think a startup can be just, you know, any person doing anything that solves a problem and then turning it into a business and making it into a commercial operation. Um, when you ask about startup culture, do you mean like generally around the ecosystem or, or are you asking about culture within a startup? I think both are important ones, but I suppose uh, what kind of culture do they need to maintain to keep that startup active and consistently uh, innovate? Uh, because it's quite easy for a startup culture that works on instinct after a period of time to perhaps move into a more structured way of working. And and you don't want to break that original mindset that they mm -hmm. had, but at the same time, they need to have that structure as well. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. What you're talking about is uh, when a startup becomes corporate <laughs> and do they then stop innovating? That's the cliche that's used. It's, you know, uh, when companies become so big and bureaucratic that it doesn't become about, you know, the ideas and the work. It becomes about politics and other things that get in the way of you achieving, you know, a mission and your goals. You know, I think that all startups like that I know anyway and all the startups in our portfolio desperately work hard to maintain that culture of, you know, high growth culture of, you know, moving fast, uh, you know, there's depending on the company, but there's a lot of emphasis on, you know, trying different things, experimenting and iterating and moving, you know, forward until you find the thing that works. I think, you know, as you like the challenge that you're talking about is as you scale and as you get bigger and bigger, which is of course the goal of any startup is to just keep getting bigger. How do you maintain that culture and you know i don't have the the single answer for that but well you know what i can say is that you know from what i've seen with some of our portfolio companies that you know it starts with a you know rock solid mission like something that is important that you know excites your people and motivates them to come to work and to do the best work of their life so it starts with the mission uh the other things that i've seen are qualities or characteristics of a great startup culture usually there's a fair amount of autonomy and trust given to the people that work there so that they're able to do their work and feel a sense of ownership over the results of that work often you see that represented in or people when they talk about startups they say that you can have more impact in a startup and what that really means is that you're not, uh, you know, a small cog in a machine where it's hard to see the impact of your work. Startups often are defined by the idea that you can go and work in one and then have your work, you know, see the results of your work and know that you're meaningfully contributing to that large mission. Um, and other qualities I see, you know, more focused, I guess, on 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 output rather than input, and we're seeing that at, mo at the moment. I think a lot of startups were the first ones to be able to go remote during you know COVID, and that's because 
you know, they're, they're, they generally are, I guess, more flexible and allow people to work in a way that works for them. And so that flexibility, I guess, adds to the culture as well. And it adds to a person's sense that, you know, they are in control of their own destiny and they are, you know, responsible for their own work and they can see the impact that, that work is having on the overall mission of the company. And hopefully that creates a whole bunch of people who are, you know, growth orientated and who are motivated to do really great work because they can see the importance of it. Um, there are lots, lots and lots of other things, obviously, that go into making it, you know, that kind of high growth, that, you know, startup mindset. But, you know, they're just some of the things that I've seen in our portfolio companies. Fantastic. Joel, for a very long, long, long time, um, I've had a belief, I've held a belief in some remote corner of my heart uh, that the startup culture in Australia is is a bit weak and not where it should be. And in one of your tweet, uh, tweets a few weeks ago, uh, which I found interesting and what inspired me to reach out to you, uh, you tweeted this statement. You said, the smartest kids in Australia don't want to work in startups. Most of them end up in investment banking or corporate law. It's a tragic waste. We've been working on this problem for a few years. If we can redirect even some of these young people, Australia will be better off. Tell me your thoughts on what you were thinking. It seems like you have some ideas that uh, that you feel Australia should consider. Yeah, well, I mean, my, this is my personal view. My personal view is that uh, I think if you want to have the most impact in the world, uh, you want to do meaningful work in your life, uh, and you want to you know, make some kind of dent, then the highest leverage way that you can do that is within technology and startups. Uh, and I think... You know, we have a, a problem, not just in Australia, it's in many other countries too. It's in the UK and I know it's the same in Germany and a few different other, you know, places where there are startup communities and startup ecosystems. We have this problem where in Australia we have this old world economy, uh, which means, you know, our largest companies are not technology companies, they're um, mining companies and banks. And, you know, what that means is like, you know, if you're a young person and you're studying at school and you work really hard, and you get good grades and like like the, the the rail like the tracks are kind of laid out for you um the most obvious conclusion that you come to and that people push you towards is that you go to a, a one of the prestigious universities be it sydney or melbourne or unsw or whatever and you do commerce or you do law uh and then you know you don't really question that because it's you know it's what the smartest kids do and i will go back on this because i don't think just the smartest kids you know are doing commerce and law i think you know some of our smartest kids are in the arts and the humanities and creative and you know creativity um but you know just talking about like the path that i've seen a lot of these people who choose commerce and law uh finance degrees they end up then you know they get through their degree and they do good, they get good marks and there are these graduate programs that the banks run and that management consulting firms run and law firms run. Those graduate programs start in the first year of university. And so, you know, if you're a really great student, it's awesome for you to be able to get into one of these graduate programs. And that goes all the way through your degree. And then when you finish your degree, you go straight into that company that you're doing the grad program at. And there's another couple of years of training that you get there. And I guess like, I think that, I think it's a shame, first of all, that people choose that path. I think that they don't always choose it. I think that it's, it's something that is, 
it's it's almost presumed. Uh, and I think, you know, especially at the moment when young people, there's so much like flux in the world and there's so much uncertainty to have something that's there in your future that is assured. I don't blame people for choosing that path. But I wonder like, what if, what if some of these people, instead of going and spending the first like five or six years of their life in a large company where they're like most often not having any kind of impact, you know, they're not really changing, moving the needle at that particular company. And that particular company, like I said, is probably an old world economy company, like a either a bank or one of the service providers who, who you know, who service them, be the law firms or accounting firms. Um, you know, you're probably not. Those companies aren't like changing the world. They're not solving the biggest problems that we have. So why is it, you know, why is it that we can't, you know, try and redirect some of these people that are, you know, getting the best marks that are ostensibly our smartest kids. Why can't we redirect some of those to uh, startups and technology companies where I think, you know, we're trying to solve some of the biggest challenges that we face uh, as, you know, as a species. Um, And particularly if you even go down a level and say, you know, the challenges that Australia is facing, like, I think that we will be better off. And I think that Australia's future is, 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 you know, like we'll be more prosperous if some of these young people decide to do something different other than go to these like large corporates where in my view, they're not really making much of an impact. Very, very nice insights. I have, I've got a few more questions on that. In, in another tweet from yourself and from your company, Blackbird Ventures, you guys together said this and you touched upon this already, but I just want to go through that tweet again because I found that interesting. There is a shared belief that Australia can create great technology companies. It isn't just that it's possible, it's necessary. Australia has an old world economy and that needs to change if we are to remain prosperous. We need brave people willing to take risks. But Joel, how can we take risks if we have to play it safe by making money for buying a house or building up a saving or have enough super for retirement? Risk means losing time and losing money. And that's a very scary thought for our youngsters or their parents mm. to, to get into. So how are you going to break that mindset? I've always believed that in our schools, we should be teaching students two more subjects, entrepreneurship mm. and relationships, but mm. both are in happening. So I think great question. Super glad you asked it. I think, first of all, this is something that people don't like that's not known. There's this old kind of myth that startups don't make money or that they don't pay people well. That's not true. Uh, you know, we've been doing, you know, Blackbird along with some other VCs in Australia uh, have been doing uh, salary compensation surveys the last few years. I don't have the numbers up in front of me, but basically we're trying to find out what people earn at startups so that we can benchmark some of these, um, you know, particular professions so that when our founders come to us, we know what to say. You know, we know that a product manager at this level makes around about this much money. So I've seen the data and actually you can make good money in startups. The second point that I'd make is that if you are successful in startups, you can build way more wealth than I think you could ever make, like, you know, going to a law firm and working, you know, 80 hours a week for, you know, the next 20 years where maybe you'll make partner, but chances are you won't make partner. You know, you're, 
you know, that kind of world where you're taking a high salary to start with, maybe you're earning a hundred grand or a hundred and whatever thousand dollars out of university. You're not, I know that you don't, but let's say that you get really lucky and you can get that over the years. If you work super hard, you might push your salary up to like 200, 250,000. And these are really big numbers. This is like a lot of money to make, especially for a young person. But this is like the reason that people choose these careers because they pay well. Um, that's really great. And that's a lot of money. But if you are successful, in startups, if you pick the right one and you just go and work for the right one early on, like if you worked for Canva early on in your life and if you were one of the first, like, say, 20 employees, you would have millions of dollars now in equity in that company and there have been multiple chances and there will be many chances over the next few years where you'll be able to realize some of that money that's still on paper. So, like, I don't believe, firstly, that if you want wealth and prosperity that you need to go to corporate. I just don't believe that. The other point that I'll make is if you go, if you choose to go and start a company, which is like the next level up, level up from going to work at one, again, your chances of like, you can either choose in your life to rent out your time, which is a salary, or you can choose to actually like own something to build equity in that thing and to try and grow it. There is like no comparison between those two paths. If you're talking about wealth generating, like you, like everyone would agree that you can, like, if that's what you care about, you can make way more money by founding a company. And if that company is not successful, I guarantee you, and you don't make the millions of dollars that you want, guarantee you, you'll have learned way more in a really short period of time than you would have, you know, learned over multiple years in a career in some kind of like corporate, you know, whichever corporate. And so I just don't like, I actually just don't think that's true if, if, you know, if money is what you're motivated by. I will say though, I do like empathize, you know, I am on the tail edge of being a, a millennial, but I am a millennial still. So, and I, you know, I, so I'm, you know, I'm sitting here with a bald head, but I, I suffered through a lot of the same challenges that many young people face, you know, when they're living in cities, which is that it's incredibly expensive um, and you need to do what you need to be able to do to make money to be able to stay in that city. So I understand that. But I also, like I said, I think that people, it's almost, to me, it's a lazier option to choose it because if you're sitting and you're just about to graduate university and you have this graduate like thing that you've been doing for the last few years in some kind of company and they give you a job before you even like graduate, that's super easy. You're not taking any risks there. The future is known for you. However, if you choose you want to go into a startup, it's harder to get into startups. There are less jobs and it's perceived to be more risky. Uh, and guess what? The future isn't known if you choose that path because in Australia at the moment, there aren't really any graduate like programs. Uh, so if you graduate, you're not like, you're not like welcome softly into the nest and like, you know, like gently pushed forward. You're actually just getting a job and starting from scratch and, and learning it all as you go. Um, so I think that's why people choose it. It's not just the money. It's just because it's easier to pick one of those jobs. There was another tweet from me, I think, where you retweeted um, Cabin mm. Pond. Uh, one of their tweets oh, yeah. said, um, if you if you have an idea, pursue that idea because uh, you, mm. you never know what impact that can have on society. Mm. So I just want to clarify that book Cabin Porn is a book about cabins that you would see in the woods. It's nothing else for those that don't know it. Um, yeah, so that was a guy, the guy who wrote that book or who edited it. His name's Zach Klein. Um, and wh what was the quote again? I think he's – read that back to me again. It was 
uh, it was something I'm just paraphrasing, but something around oh, yeah. the lines. If you believe in something, if you have an idea, just just pursue that idea, and yeah. the idea should be something that impacts uh, humanity, fixes a problem, uh, and and oh, just yeah. believe in it. So that was um, the it was the quote was from Zach, and it was around. It was in an AMA that we ran with him, and he said that the highest thing that you can hope for when you're starting a company is that you can give the people who work for you something to believe in. You can give them work that's meaningful and you can provide them with some prosperity. And then hopefully all together you will achieve this thing that you're trying to achieve. Uh, he said, I'm paraphrasing as well, but he said that that's, you know, that's like the highest thing that you can hope for. And I believe that too. I think that was just poetry. Um, mm. You know, I think if you're searching for meaning in your life and I think that, you know, lots of people are, um, I think work, the work you do is one place you can go for that meaning. And it's one place you can look to find it. And, you know, it sounds like lofty here, but you spend more time doing work than just about anything else. Why wouldn't you try and find something that had some kind of meaning to you or that felt purposeful? Uh, it's, and I know that there's going to be a lot of people out there listening, like rolling their eyes and saying, Oh, that's like really easy and nice to say, but it's another thing to make it happen. And it is, like it's not meant to be easy to find one's purpose in life and to pursue it with a passion and a vigor that, you know, that, you know, you've had to earn. Like it's not easy to find that. Um, but I think it's worth pursuing. I think it's a noble pursuit. And I think if you ultimately after a happier life, I think that that's, you know, that's one serious way to go about it. You know, just like revolutions, entrepreneurships are often powered by the youth. Um, yes. However, the youth of today, uh, the youth by you know by default, they have four teachers uh, that affects their life. You've got your parents, you've got your school and university uh, teachers, you've got the government leadership, and you've got other entrepreneurs. And I think they all need to create um, an environment, an ecosystem where they're encouraged and motivated uh, to. Mm to take that uh, step in pursuing their idea. And you mentioned it's not easy to find that purpose. And I mm -hmm. think and I believe that human life is meant to find the purpose in life and seeing how you can use that purpose to, to have an impact on the wider community. Uh, every one of us has the ability to think something out of the box because we are all mm -hmm. unique. It's just that they haven't been trained to do it. So uh, let's forget the parents, the teachers and the governments, but what about other entrepreneurs? Do you think they should be more vocal? They should be hitting uh, schools. They should be going to universities and having like a roadshow, uh, showing mm -hmm. people, telling them, do it. So I think uh, I have ideas on this. And what I'll say is that I don't necessarily agree that you have to learn. I think you don't have to learn to be entrepreneurial. I think that you – to be entrepreneurial is just to be creative and it's just to have imagination is really what it is. And if you ask – I'm shocked when I ask, you know, my adult friends if they think they're creative. Most people say that they're not. I think creativity is – everyone is creative. Like, and I don't – the problem is that people associate creativity with artistry and they think to be creative you must be an artist or that that's the only – expression of creativity but to start a company is is an act of creativity to get into a spreadsheet and find a solution to a complicated set of problems like that's creativity to you know to decide that you want to put a plant in the corner of your room instead of over on the other side of your house that's being creative like you're using your mind to come up with a solution 
that wasn't there before that's just out of nothing. I think especially young people and children are creative. Like they are born that way. What happens is we teach it out of them. We massage creativity out of them. And there's a lot of ways that that happens. And I'm not the you know only one who thinks this. And these aren't certainly original ideas necessarily. But, you know, I think, um, you know, it gets kind of pushed out of them because we teach people early on that the things, especially when we're educating them, that the things that matter the most above anything else are literacy and maths. And of course those things matter, but you know, there are a whole bunch of other things that come into play that I think, you know, will make you, uh, will, will, you know, that help you to keep your creativity and your imagination. The humanities is one, the arts is, is another, you know, we sponsored this program called first robotics, which has kids build robots together. And, you know, those robots compete in a competition like every single part of that process that they have to go through is a creative pursuit or a creative endeavor they're just using they're using their creativity and then they're solving like they're applying that creativity to say an engineering problem or they're applying it to an electrical problem or whatever so i don't i think it's just that we've got to stop like beating creativity and imagination out of people um and i think that if we i I personally think if we did that and if more kids were allowed to be creative and encouraged to be creative and you know taught that creativity is not just art then i think you know we'll end up with more entrepreneurs i think we just naturally will and this is part of the work that we're trying to do at blackbird we really hope uh, that you know, it's not going to you're not going to change it for everybody and for every single kid coming out. But imagine if we could just get like five percent more people coming out who of you know of our school system who are creative and who do actually you know who are a problem focused and want to find like problems that are important and work to solve those things and you know can use their creativity to do that. You know, I I think it's worthwhile trying at least. Of course. Um, I just want to touch on that world, uh, old world economy uh, just one more time and just want to get more thoughts from you. Um, I was reading an article on Medium uh, by Alan Jones. He's a partner at uh, M8 Ventures and he's the entrepreneur in residence at Remarkable Tech. And this is what he says in that article. He says, Australia has experienced three broad waves of entrepreneurial development in the past. The first being agricultural entrepreneurs, which we now today uh, know today as the rural and regional Australia. Uh, the second one is the professional services entrepreneurs. So this is where you had the development of professional service networks, franchises, etc., all post-World War II. And he says the third one, which is the tech entrepreneurs, um, the third wave is probably the one that's going to have a lot of impact in society. And the article says that it can play a huge role in agriculture in rural and regional Australia. How do you have you thought about this? Um, do you know much about how we can encourage, or do you think we should actively look at Australian entrepreneurs uh, looking more towards? agriculture and rural sector because as you know coal and gas could be much less in demand in future Mm. yeah there's like i mean at blackbird we don't do a lot of uh ag tech investing um but uh you know and so i'm not you know i'm not totally up on the scene i don't 
completely know everything that's going on. But, you know, there are a stack of like entrepreneurs in Australia working on agricultural problems. I'm in Orange at the moment, New South Wales. That's where I live. And just up the road from me, the Department of Primary Industries has like Accelerator, you know, Accelerator, what's it called? Um, Spark, I think it's called. And it's an ag tech accelerator. They've also got this thing called the Gate, which is, uh, so I don't know if you know, but the DPI, which I just mentioned, has, I don't know, like 150, 250 scientists around Australia all working on like, you know, not just ag, but kind of, you know, uh, like it's ag and food and a whole bunch of different things. Um, and so they've got this area called the gate where they allow those scientists to come in and to try and like, you know, you know, turn their ideas into businesses or they encourage them to do that. So there are a lot of people working on this and there are investors in Australia who are really, really interested. Um, I think, you know, main sequence ventures, Bill Barty, who used to, he was a founder of Blackbird. I know that he's quite interested in ag tech. I know that there are a bunch of others as well. Um, so yeah, I think we are doing that work and I think it's, you know, it would definitely be wise for Australia to do that. I also think like uh, when I say like old world economy, I also think that, you know, Australia has been called an unsophisticated economy in that, you know, we, you know, pull stuff out of the grounds, like we have natural resources, but we don't really refine those things very much. Once we pull them up, we just sell them. Um, that's not wholly true. Obviously we do do some, but largely like if you want some really like you know, if you want to do something really serious with the things we're pulling out of the ground, we sell them to other countries and they do that. The same is for our agriculture. Like I think, you know, perhaps there could be more that we could be doing, uh, you know, in terms of sophisticated processing that, you know, um, you know, that might make, that might make, make our economy a little bit more sophisticated. Are you, are you talking about commercializing ideas, patenting intellectual property? Is that what you're referring to in terms of no, no, not, not just selling it? Right. Not specifically. I think, um, you know, when I say like we pull stuff out of the ground, like if we're pulling like natural resources out of the ground and we're not putting any effort or building the, the, you know, the industries or, you know, the, the technologies to really actually turn that stuff we pull out of the ground into things, I think that, you know, that makes us unsophisticated. And I should say, I don't think it's not me who's saying we're unsophisticated. I think uh, I read a report recently was a UN report or OECD report that, you know, measured, oh no, it was a, it was a study out of Harvard. Um, I have to look it up and send it to you, but essentially they looked at the sophistication of various economies relative to their GDP. And Australia's got relatively high GDP and standards of living, but the study found that despite this, our, our you know, our country, our economy is, is as sophisticated as some West African countries that are, you know, that don't have as much as we have and don't, you know, you know, don't have the kind of prosperity that we have. How do you compare the startup culture or the, the startup ecosystem or the community in Australia versus those in the US or uh, China or India or Singapore? It's unique. Like we definitely have our own um, startup culture and our own ecosystem. I think, it's come leaps and bounds, you know, in the last five or six years. Um, and I think, you know, I'm proud to say, I think that's, in, you know, you know, we've done a lot of work on that. A lot of our other contemporaries in investing have also done a lot of work in developing the startup ecosystem community in Australia. Uh, I think it's kind of futile to compare it to say Silicon Valley. I just, like I, I just don't think we're ever going to be like that. Like we're Australians, we're not Americans. Like it's even if like, you know, we, we get years down the track and we have the most valuable startups coming out of it in the world, all coming from Australia, which we believe we can achieve. 
um, you know, our startup culture and our ecosystem is still going to look very different to say Tel Aviv or to, um, you know, to set to Silicon Valley. And that's because we're Australians and our culture is different. So I would say that, you know, we are like relative, Lee, we are, I would, you would say we're behind some of those places, but I'm also incredibly proud of how far we've come. Like when I joined, I used to be in the arts. Uh, and when I joined, um, you know, when I joined Blackbird five years ago, it was four and a half years ago. Now it was a very, very different scene. Like there just weren't that many events going on. You know, there weren't that many like angel investors out there. There were only a couple of VCs, you know, we were seeing startups every week, but like nothing like the tidal wave of of startups that we're seeing now. Uh, University students never even heard of startups. They didn't know any startups. When I, you know, used to go into UNSW to the engineering groups there to the clubs and talk about Canva and why they should want to go work at Canva or Baraha, uh, they just kind of like looked at me blankly. They had no idea what Canva was. Now, every kid that I meet knows exactly who, you know, what Canva is and they all want to go work there. So I feel like it's changing and we're making progress, but we still have a long way to go. And like I said, that's why we're doing the work. Um, you know, we produce a conference called Sunrise every year, which is thousands of people come together and the whole aim is to inspire the next generation of entrepreneurs. Um, and I know, you know, plenty of other people in the community also do work like that. And, you know, so I'm hopeful. And I think even though we have a long way to go, I th- I'm still super proud of, of the strides that we have made. And do you think certain Australian states are doing better than others in, uh, in developing a startup culture? I think no one looks at Australia. No one from outside Australia looks at Australia and divides us into states. We are just Australia. I think a little bit of competition is healthy between our states, and I don't mind that. Like I, I think New South Wales and Victoria have always you know, had the competition, but I think Queensland's come a long way. But I just I don't like to think about it like that. I think we're all doing this together, and the national interest is at stake. A little bit of competition helps us to develop and push our ecosystems further, like, you know, within each state, then that's good. But I also am, I take a, a more of a global view. And I know that no one from America or China looks at Australia and says, oh, New South Wales is where it's at. They just go, Australia is Australia. How do you think the next five years should look like in terms of digital or internet or tech entrepreneurs in the country? Well, if you're asking what I think the community or ecosystem is going to look like or what the next, you know, stage of developments are, I'm super excited about it. We're about to hit this uh, inflection point, I think, in our growth where some of the, like, Blackbird started in 2012. Venture funds go for 10 years. Uh, You know, it's in the docks when people give us, when our investors give us money, we say 10 years, you're not getting any back until then at least. Um, and maybe they get some back beforehand. You know, we've we've um, returned some money already, but 10 years is the thing. So that's not until 2022. And then at that point, usually we're going to start to see either IPOs, acquisitions, whatever. We're going to see these liquidity events where these startups that we first started investing in and others started investing in around 2012 are going to, you know, the people who have been working at those startups for years are going to get they're going to generate wealth. The investors who invested in us are going to generate wealth. Uh, and what happens is those people then return that money to the ecosystem. They they have more belief in startups and VC, the investors, because they've just received money back. So they invest more and more. They, you know, the people who work for startups who have generated some wealth because there's been these liquidity events, they either start investing in startups themselves 
or they found their own startup. They leave, they take some of the money they've made and they take some other people from that company, the people they've worked with for years and they build something else. Like this is what, you know, and I'm not making this up. This is exactly what's been happening in the U S for years. It's been happening in China for years, Israel, like Berlin. Um, you know, this is the, this is what a healthy, uh, startup ecosystem looks like you reach these progression points money comes back into the system and new stuff is made so we're about to hit that point we've got a whole bunch of companies that are like worth a billion dollars now they're reaching the you know the point in the next couple of years where there's going to have to be some kind of liquidity event be it an ipo or acquisitions or whatever and i'm just excited to see what comes out of that so i think we're like we're right on the cusp of something really special happening how about preventing brain drain uh, I read an article a few years ago about the number of Australians who are working in Silicon Valley or Tel Aviv, and they could have been a, a great resource here in Australia. Any plans there to attract them back or to perhaps stop them from going? Oh, you can't stop them, but... Well, uh, so yeah, yeah. So we're already seeing, it's called the brain gain when they come back in. So uh, we're, fortunately, Australia is a beautiful place to live. We're very, uh, we're very, very fortunate here. And so... You know, even compared to some of the other really developed economies, like anyone who's lived in the United States for a few years will tell you that. Like, so we have like, you know, these people that go over to the US to work because when they left, there weren't that many opportunities in tech in Australia. You know, they're looking back to Australia now quite fondly. They miss their home. They see how nice the lifestyle is here. And guess what? They can now come back and they have a whole bunch of places to go. So we're seeing that already. We see that like we have, um, you know, Blackbird, we keep, track of people, smart people we know looking for work. Uh, and we're constantly in touch with people who are looking to come back into Australia. So that is happening. That's the first point. Second point, how do we stop them from leaving? I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing if people do leave and then come back. I think that people leaving and going overseas, getting experience in different markets and bringing that experience back to Australia is a good thing. I don't think we lose when that happens. But how do we stop them in the first place? It's really simple. We just need enough startups with enough compelling opportunities for these people where they say, you know, they say to themselves, like, if you're like smartest and the best and you're, you know, really ambitious and, you know, you want to do a lot of things with your life, if you can see yourself achieving your goals in Australia for an Australian startup, then you're not going to leave, and, you know, unless, you know, some people will leave, of course. But I think we're getting that, though. You know, we have these large companies like, like Canva and Safety Culture. Um, we've got a whole bunch coming through like Baraha, um, you know, a lot of young companies that we know like Eucalyptus that we've invested in, a whole bunch um, that are creating really compelling job opportunities for young people and for professionals in Australia. So I just think we need more of that. You know, and that's, you know, all in the development of the ecosystem. Um, the more success that we have, the more startups uh, that we have that are successful, that'll lead to more startups. That'll lead to more investors. That'll lead to more people willing to go and work for those startups. It's, it's happening and it's way better than it was, like I say, about five years ago. What's the value Blackbird offers to uh, the future entrepreneurs, the future companies, the startups, uh, besides money? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, obviously we give them money, but I'd say, first of all, you know, belief is the, we say is the single unit of Blackbird. And that means that, you know, before we even give money, we, we give founders belief, like we, um, and that's an incredibly powerful thing to say to a person, you know, when they're building something like I actually believe in you and I believe in this thing you're trying to do and the problem you're trying to solve. I'm going to back that up by giving you money. So that's the first thing, belief. Secondly, we surround them with 
community. Before I was creative director, I was the head of community. And now Danny Pincus uh, has just joined us and runs community for Blackbird. We, the mission of community at Blackbird has always been to be a magnetic force for the very best people. And so when you get an investment from Blackbird, we surround you with the very, very best people in Australia. Those are our investors. So our, the people who are investors in Blackbird are super engaged. They're some of the best angel investors in the country. They're all ex-entrepreneurs, and well, many of them are ex-founders and technology entrepreneurs themselves. So first of all, you get that network. Second of all, the network of founders that we have, Like I believe that we have the best portfolio of any other VC in Australia. And so that means we have the best founders. And so, you know, we put a lot of work in the year over the years into cultivating that community and to making it possible for each founder that we invest in to get the mentorship advice and support of the other founders in the portfolio the other you know on the other another level to this community is also um, you know we're working on building a community of the professionals who work for our startups um, we're working on building a professional network out of those people so that you know they can help each other to level up their careers to find more opportunities uh, so that's like, I guess, the, the, the main things that you get from us is belief and then we surround you with this community. Like I say, we, we're, we're in it for the long haul, not just because we have to be, but we're in, we truly are in it, you know, for the very, very long term. Uh, so you have a partner in us, you know, for a very, very long time. You mentioned uh, a very powerful word, belief, and I suppose that's where mentorship comes in. Um, I read a quote for you uh, a few years ago. It says a lot of people do a lot of good things in their life because someone else have had hope in them rather than themselves. So I think it's wonderful that you're giving these young or young startups uh, that belief that they can do it, that you're with them and showing them the ropes, bringing in other founders and leaders and, and teaching them that it's okay to make mistakes and how do you overcome uh, mistakes? How do you grow? How do you exit? And I think I think that's what startups need because they've got that energy to make it work but they just don't know at times where they're going or if they're making a mistake or sometimes they're so attached to their idea that they may not even know the mistakes that they make so Mm -hmm. for a mentor like blackbird to come in and gently and carefully show them what those mistakes are so that it's a learning step for them i think it's a wonderful thing yeah, I mean, like I said, it's incredibly powerful when, you know, you have this idea, you believe in it yourself, you tell your friends about it, uh, you take a giant risk, maybe you quit your job and you start trying to figure out how to do this thing you've never done before. It's incredibly powerful when someone else comes along, someone who's not your parents or your partner or your friends and says, actually, I've heard, you know, you've told me what you're doing and I believe in it and I believe in your ability to to make it happen. And we're going to back that up by giving you a bunch of cash. <laughs> like, I think that's, you know, the, obviously the money is the crucial part, but I think we say it's the single unit before money comes belief. And I, you know, I really do believe in that. You, you've launched a, a podcast of your own. Uh, I mean, Blackbird, tell us about that podcast. Mm, it's called Wild Hearts. Uh, the, the great Mason Yates, who is a portfolio analyst uh, at Blackbird, he's the one behind it. He's being helped out by Danny Pincus. And I believe we're shooting for every two weeks. We're still still new. There's only one episode out, so we're just trying to get the cadence right. And I guess, the you know, I, I don't want to speak for Mason, but I guess that, you know, the way he's spoken to me about it is that the idea behind it is that, you know, we have – we put all our energy and effort into finding like the very best founders that we can, like the best people in the world. 
and you know, it's, we meet thousands of them a year. We only invest in a handful, and we have these people, you know, within our reach. Like, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we tap some of those people on the shoulder and, and you know, ask if we can share some of their wisdom or share some of the, you know, the thoughts they have about building companies and you know why it's important. Uh, and so that's, and the, you know, the ultimate aim is to inspire the next generation of people, to convince people who are, you know, maybe in different lines of work that startups are valuable and doing important work. Uh, and it's, you know, like I say, it's all about this, you know, contribution to the ecosystem so that we can grow it. Um, so yeah, it's a new journey for us. Maybe you can uh, listen yourself and give us some tips given that you're a veteran. Um, but you know, it's exciting. And I think, you know, we had a really great response to the first one. I think we had thousands and thousands of people downloaded it and a whole bunch of people subscribed. So, um, hopefully, hopefully we can, um, do those founders justice. You will, you absolutely will. Your final message for future entrepreneurs, future parents of these entrepreneurs, anything that you want people to know and remember? Yeah. So I guess I'd say like if we're talking about uh, young people, which we have spoken a lot about young people and the choices they're making in life and what they choose to do with their life. I think it's a, it's a challenging time when you finish university or you finish high school and you've got to choose what you want to do with the rest of your life. Um, I think it's nearly impossible to make that decision and get it right out of the gate. Um, but what I will say is that I think rather than, you know, choosing a specific job or a specific like profession, I think people should decide to choose, pick a cause, pick something that's important to them, some kind of problem in the world that they want to solve or that they just, they see a different future than the one that we're already heading for. I think that is like, that's the highest kind of calling. I think in the highest and the best expression of your talent in your intellect. And I'd also say like, if the one thing that you're missing is a little bit of bravery uh, and that's what's required really to, to choose something that's a path that's not laid out for you, you know, I'd say my only piece of advice would be that you're young and it's okay. <laughs> you're afforded a whole bunch of opportunity to make mistakes and when you're young. And I think that you can't lose by trying different things. Beautiful message. You never, ever know if you never, ever try. And thank you so much, Joel, for, for being a part of the show and encouraging and motivating and inspiring future founders and future leaders. And I look forward to speaking with you again in the years to come. Thank you. I look forward to that. And thank you as well for, for doing the good work and for putting your time in on weekends to, to tell stories like this. I appreciate it. And I know your listeners probably do too. Thank you.